which means it's time for another devotion in which once again we're going to be looking at one of the psalms specifically psalm 85 and uh, i gotta say this psalm is quite appropriate for uh, a day like today in which we're being uh, uh well i don't want to say assaulted but we're being welcomed <laughs> How, how's that for optimism we're being welcomed by stormy weather and rainy skies and frankly all this week it's sort of been uh in the mix you know thunderstorms at random times and again tonight uh because this psalm really is um if you look between the details look between the lines you're going to see that a lot of this psalm is about how the nation of israel or probably in this case more specifically judah uh, interpreted the various weather events and various seasons, uh, even even those things according to how they related with God, and and this brings up something that I think we too often forget in our modern age. What Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher, coined as the secular age in his nearly unreadable tome called by the same name. But in that book, he makes a very, very important point. He he says that in the modern Western world, we are all so steeped in secular ways of thinking and secular ways of viewing the world, which is to say ways of viewing the world that are entirely governed by sort of materialistic or scientific ways of thinking that we don't relate to the world the same way that people did before really the enlightenment, you know, that came along in the 1700s and then even a little bit before that. But, and, and his big idea is that up until the advent of uh, these real scientific and technological breakthroughs that so many of us just take for granted today, when people interacted with things like weather patterns, with big rainstorms or whatever the case may be, they tended to immediately think of what this said about the spiritual realm and what they could interpret from that. In other words, if there was no rain or the crops were not growing because of a lack of rain, well, well, the ancient person tended to interpret that as a sign that God must not be happy with them, that they must need to repent. Uh, whereas in today's day and age, we tend not to even think that at all. We tend not to even bring that up. We just tend to uh, flatten everything out to, well, this is the way weather patterns go. And, you know, this is the way that we view the world. Although I will say, I will say there is, there can be a tendency to even view scientific things through religious, uh, with sort of religious zeal and religious fervor, as we see some, um, some, uh, parts of even the most sort of extreme environmental movements will will give the earth or give the universe sort of divine qualities and therefore we must do certain things to pacify quote unquote mother earth or uh, or the universe or whatnot but that's a that's a discussion for another time what I want to talk about today is what our response should be as we seek to regain a sense of God being, in the mix of all the details of life so that we regain somewhat of a spiritual age and not merely a secular age, not merely a secular way of interpreting everything, but that we learn to see again that God is involved in all of our lives, that he's working in all the different spheres 
albeit invisibly most of the time, and frankly, to our eyes, unimpressively most of the time. So Psalm 85 is what we're looking at. Here's what the psalmist says. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Now, this is, of course, a great uh, a little verse of praise to God because of him being gracious to his people, restoring their fortunes. He continues, verse 4, Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Well, now it seems that they are coming across some very difficult times, some challenges, and they interpret this as God must be angry with us again. Now, this is a very natural thought. And on the one hand, there is something healthy about recognizing that God is in the mix of everything that's happening. On the other hand, we know from what Jesus says in the New Testament that it's very dangerous to interpret natural events or things going on around us as signs that God is angry with us. In fact, we just don't have the knowledge to know that for certain. Instead, Jesus says when we see problems or we see struggles happening in our world or injustices around in our world, we ought not interpret that as I did something wrong or they did something wrong, which is actually really bad to do. But instead, the response should always be one of repentance. That's what he says in John's gospel when he's confronted with two acts of evil and the disciples ask, uh, in one case, you know, who made this man blind? Was it his parents' sin or his sin? And Jesus says, don't worry about that. No, instead, you should just look to repent yourself. And the same thing is brought up uh, about some men that are killed unjustifiably by Pilate in the temple. The point is, we ought not be looking for who to blame for the scapegoat, so to speak, when challenges come our way or when the rain doesn't fall on our crops. But we instead ought to come back to first things and say, God, I need your mercy again today. And that's what the psalmist is going to do here. Verse 5, will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? This is him venting. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. There's that beginning of repentance. I need to hear from God. I need to hear his word as I begin my day each and every day, as I begin my weekend each and every weekend, as I come to worship on Sunday. I need to hear what the Lord has to say in his word to me. And what does he have to say? For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. Yes, what we need to hear from God is once again a word that declares that we are in right standing with him, that there is peace between our maker and those who he has created, that, that there is indeed reconciliation on account of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And then the psalmist gives this little warning, so to speak, but let them not turn back to folly. Yes, part of a big part of why the word is preached and why we need to be reminded of our standing with God, that we have peace with him, as the psalmist longs to hear, is that we would be kept from turning to folly. I'm reminded of Paul's epistle to Titus, in which he tells us that it is the grace of God that trains us to renounce ungodliness. 
Yes, it is the declaration that we are at peace with him that then inspires us to indeed turn away from folly, not turn back to it as if it's a good thing for us or for our neighbor. And the psalmist goes on, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in your land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Now, I love that imagery. Obviously, there's some poetic uh, language being used here. But the point that the psalmist wants to make is that in God, you have this, everything perfectly comes together, righteousness and peace kiss each other. I can't help but think of the cross when I think of such a thing where justice and mercy meet each other and kiss at the cross. Justice being meted out on the Son of God and yet peace and grace and mercy being extended to those who have put him on that cross because God is so loving and faithful to his people. And this is where we get the interpretation that the psalmist is thinking about most likely the crops and for that matter, the lack of growth in the crops, because it says in verse 11, faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. The, the, the language is suggesting when the crops come up, it's a sign of God's faithfulness to us. When the rains come down, it's a reminder of God's righteousness to us that we might have food yet again today. It is right and good. It is right and good to acknowledge that everything that we get to eat, everything that we get to partake in, yes, is a gift from God. Yes, he's used our jobs to provide the means by which we buy the food, or he's used our jobs as means to actually create the food that we buy in the store, or to at least harvest the food and put it all together. But nevertheless, it is from the hand of God that anyone eats even a morsel, and it is right and true in a spirit of repentance to go back to first things and acknowledge, yes, it's from the hand of God that these rains come down right now. Yes, it might make me wet and uncomfortable, but it is from the hand of God because the earth needs such rain, as my home state in California can vouch for desperately right now. And so the psalmist concludes, Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. And so we see, once again, the, the psalm goes through a fairly normal flow of human emotions. And we've emphasized this over and over again as we look at the Psalms. That on the one hand, the psalmist acknowledges who his God is. Secondarily, he acknowledges the problem that he has with at least the way God seems to be operating in his world. He, he's honest with his Lord. He doesn't put on airs. He says, are you angry with us forever? And then he comes to what most often tends to be the case, the resolution that yes, God is the one who provides and God is the one who guides our steps. And therefore, he is worthy of praise. He's worthy of praise when we take the first bite of food and when we take the last bite of food, when we wake up in the morning and when we go to sleep at night, praise the Lord forever. All right, folks, that is it for our devotion on this Friday morning. I hope that encourages you and uh, look